Good morning, church. I'm very excited to be here this weekend. I know a lot of people are gone. We've got four out of our seven junior high and high school grades on mission trips, so we're praying for them. Uh, and I've been gone, as you know. I was in Uganda. I got to know the Shelburns there, and I'm back now. And if you'd like to know more about our trip, and you were not here last Wednesday night, go online and listen as myself and Chris Seidman and Drew Sherman talked about our trip, and especially... Uh, the impact that starting a Christian university can have in East Africa. I think you'll be encouraged. But I am thrilled to be here uh, because I have been gone for a while. And also, this is a special weekend. Can I just take a moment and talk about that? Uh, Yesterday was my 28th anniversary, and I'm pretty pumped about that. And uh, yeah, you can clap for that. Not only that... But today is the 20th anniversary of my coming to Richland Hills. I came in the first Sunday of June of 1989. So I have been here for 20 years, and it has been an incredible ride. On top of all that, yesterday was another reunion of my high school class. And I stayed in touch with a lot of those people that were my buddies. I was one of the very few Christians in my high school. But I was friends with lots of people, and they had a reunion at some bar at Joe Pool Lake in Grand Prairie. And they invited me to come, and I said, I can't come because I'm preaching. And they promised they would hoist a cold one in my honor (laughs) while I was preaching. And some of them may come to late service if they can wake up in time. So it's been a special weekend, and I'm very, very excited about it. Open your Bibles to 1 John. We've been in 1 John now for several months, and we're coming to the end. We're in chapter 5, and next weekend will be our final teaching of this great, great book. A scoutmaster took his troop into the desert to teach them the basics of surviving in the desert. And so he said, boys, what three things do you absolutely need if you get lost in the desert? And little Davy raised his hand and waved furiously. And the scoutmaster said, Davy, what are the three things you need if you're lost in the desert? And Davy said, you need a compass. You need a canteen of water. And you need a deck of cards. And the scoutmaster said, why do you need those three things? Well, you need the compass to find directions. And you need a canteen of water so that you won't get dehydrated. But why do you need a deck of cards, he asked. And Davy said, because you start playing solitaire. As soon as you do, someone's going to walk up behind you and say, put the red nine on the black ten. <laughs> well, what three things do you need if you're trying to find eternal life? If you're searching for God. John says, here's what you need. You need the water. You need the blood, and you need the Spirit. And he says, they will lead you to life, God, as my witness. Chapter 5, we're starting in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God. To obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. 
This is the one who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only. But by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies. Because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit. The water. And the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Anyone who believes in the son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, in church, we talk a lot about the importance of witnessing to God. But have you ever thought of God witnessing to you? That you can say, God as my witness. Now, how can God be my witness? witness. Well, listen again. We're going to read verse 6 through 8, this time from the New Living Translation, which I think gets really at the heart of what John is saying. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by His baptism in water and by shedding His blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and the blood. And the Spirit also gives us the testimony that this is true. So we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And All three agree. Do you remember when Jesus was on trial and the religious leaders brought in witnesses to slander Jesus? And they couldn't get their testimony to agree. But God's testimony agrees. God says, I give you the spirit, the water, and the blood. My testimony about who Jesus is. And they're all critical. The water says Jesus is God. It's John reminding his readers... Of God's personal word of recommendation at Jesus' baptism. Often when people are baptized here, we say they are going public for Christ. Well, when Jesus was baptized, God went public for Christ. You remember that, don't you? Mark chapter 1. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And as Jesus was coming up out of the water... He saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. Imagine being there and hearing God's personal word of witness about who Jesus is. John the baptizer reflects on that moment. And in 1 John we read. And then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. By the way, notice that God's affirmation wasn't so much for Jesus' sake, it was for our sake. Jesus knew who he was. We needed to know. And so God took the stand and under oath, 
He went public at Jesus' baptism and he declared, this is my son. Now, one reason this is important is because, remember, John's church has been unsettled by some people who have left. They have become uh, affected by a form of heresy we call Gnosticism. And here's one of the preeminent teachings. That God can't be a man. That deity can't inhabit flesh. And so a Christ spirit came down on Jesus the man at his baptism. And it left him before he went to the cross. Because there is no way God could die on a cross. And so that's why John throughout this letter says. Whenever you start attacking the God man Jesus. You are on dangerous ground. Second John 7, he says, Many deceivers have gone out into the world, and they don't believe that Jesus Christ came to earth in a real body. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. You see, John says it's not just the water. It's the water and the blood. And the blood says Jesus is Savior. John has already said back in chapter 1 that his blood cleanses us of every sin. Why? Why does his blood cleanse us of sin because he wasn't just a man he was the god man we were in debt to god and the wages of sin is death it was a debt only a man should pay and only a perfect man only a god man could pay and so bethlehem happened and god became man to erase the debt only man owed and only god could pay Up to this time, all we could do was put off that debt with the blood of bulls and goats. The Hebrew writer says in chapter 9 that once for all time, he took blood into that most holy place. Not the blood of goats and calves. He took his own blood. And with it, he secured our salvation forever. Listen, there's a lot of people out there who will say the nicest things about Jesus until you start talking about the blood. And all of a sudden, he just becomes another good man. Why is that not enough? Why can't we just say Jesus is our example? Jesus is an inspiration. Jesus teaches us how to live a good life. Let's just try to be like Jesus. Oh, really? You're going to try to be like Jesus? Can you never sin? Because if you've sinned, you don't need an example. You need a Savior. That's what the blood says. That God gave witness to his saving death. Remember the mighty miracles? How the sky turned dark in the middle of the day as the wrath of God was descending on him instead of you. Do you remember how the temple curtain was torn in the middle from top to bottom to symbolize access that his blood has now created for all of us to God? Do you remember how the ground shook and the the graves came open to tell us that the wages of sin have been paid and death has been overcome. What was God doing? He was given witness that Jesus is God and Savior. We do the same thing every week here. People come into the baptistry. They go under the water to give their witness that He is the Son of God. We take the bread and the wine here every week to remember that He is Savior and it is His blood that takes away our sins. The water and the blood still testify. But God didn't stop there. His witness gets even more personal. John says it's the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. And the Spirit says Jesus is Lord. You've got to understand that the witness of the Holy Spirit permeated 
the life and the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. Peter, who was there and was a witness himself, says in Acts 10 and verse 38, No doubt you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And everything he did, the way he would cast out demons, the way he could heal the sick, it was all in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why you really want to get on Jesus' bad side. Start saying that what he did was in the power of the devil and not the Spirit. Ignore the witness of God and give his ability to heal and to exercise to another power. And Jesus says, you better watch it. When you start blaspheming the Holy Spirit, you are in dangerous territory. Jesus said very boldly, God has witnessed to me by anointing me with the Holy Spirit. And it's not just there. But every time you hear preaching and something in your heart wells up and you increase your faith in Jesus, this is the Holy Spirit giving witness. 1 Peter 1 verse 12 says, This good news has been announced by those who preached to you in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It's not my eloquence or the erudition of any other preacher. It's the Holy Spirit giving witness When you hear the gospel proclaimed. Think about this. The Holy Spirit inspired this book. In this book are 300 prophecies. Written hundreds of years before Jesus. That he perfectly fulfilled. Coincidence? Or is God giving witness to who Jesus is? And finally, the Holy Spirit testifies with our own spirits as He comes to abide in every believer. In Acts 5, we read, the apostles say, we are witnesses of these things. In other words, we saw it personally, but then notice they say, but so is the Holy Spirit. He is a witness whom God has given to those who obey Him. Paul says in Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. And because you're sons, God sent the Spirit of his son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. It's the Spirit who seals God's case. That Jesus is God. That Jesus is Savior. That Jesus is Lord. You can't even believe Jesus is Lord or say it without the Spirit's help. 1 Corinthians twelve three. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. By the way. I hope you have noticed the not-so-subtle rebuke of sectarianism in our text. How is it that two people can both accept the witness of God about Jesus and have so much trouble accepting each other? How is it that Satan has so deluded the body of Christ that around the world we have separated into all of our little camps with our own special little signs 
When we all claim that we're listening to the same God say the same thing about the same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, I believe if God is your witness and God is my witness, then you are my brother. Because the bottom line is this, folks. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. There's still only one question that matters. One question. Jesus asked it. Who do you say I am? Do you believe with the testimony of God about the identity of Jesus? Because I believe that when you receive the witness of God, you start to witness some incredible things happening in your own life. John mentions two. He says, number one, here's what's going to happen when you apply the testimony. Love is going to overwhelm the law. Now, we all know a lot of people that are religious and still haven't been converted, right? Obedience to them is a duty. It's not a delight. We know there are people all over Fort Worth in America today in church houses, not because they want to be there, not because they're glad to be there, but because they think they have to be there. They live out of ought, not out of joy. This week, you think I'm making this up, you can check it out for yourself. There is a website called informationageprayer.com made for those people. You can go to that website and for a small fee, you can pay this company to say your prayers for you in your name out loud through a computer. For just $3.95 a month, it will say the Lord's Prayer for you every day. For just $49.95, you can get a whole month of rosaries. And not just Christian prayers, Jewish prayers, Muslim prayers, and they'll even point the speakers in the direction of Mecca. Because they know there is a market out there for a lot of people who are just religious, but not yet converted. Dutiful discipleship is practiced by people that still haven't received the witness of God. They still haven't grasped. All that God is trying to tell them about Jesus. Because once you do, see, then you'll understand what John is saying. That God's love, and this is how you love God. Obey His commands because His commands are not burdensome. That once you hear what God is trying to tell you about Jesus, you are never again going to wonder if anything God has asked you to do is good for you. This whole thing was never meant to be rules and regulations. It's supposed to be a relationship with God. Some of you will remember me telling this story when I was about 13 years old. I don't know why in every boy's life there comes a moment where you decide to declare your independence and take your stand against your dad. My dad gave me chores every day, and one of them was to mow the yard every week, and this was the day to mow the yard. And we had a big, big yard. It took a long time. And I do not know why, but on this particular day, I decided I'm not going to mow the yard. Not because the mower didn't work, not because it rained. I just wasn't going to do it. Now, I knew my dad would come home. I knew he'd be mad. I knew he'd probably whip me. I was prepared for all the consequences Because this was my declaration of independence. So I heard dad walk in the back door. I heard him come toward me. 
I knew he was going to be mad. I cannot explain my decision except when you're 13, oxygen doesn't get to the brain and you're just kind of dumb for a while. (laughs) And my dad stood in the door. He said, I notice the yard isn't mowed. Was there a problem with the mower? I said, it's working fine, Dad. So why didn't you mow the yard? I looked right at him. I said, and I'm prepared for whatever he's going to do. I said, I didn't feel like it. I wasn't prepared for what happened next. My dad looked at me and said, and I'll never forget this. Son, you're getting too old to obey me because you fear me. From now on, you only obey me. Because you love me. He walked away. I was outside in five minutes mowing the yard. (laughs) And our relationship changed. Because I began to understand it's not about fear. And it's not about rules. And it's not about regulations. It's about a love relationship. That's what God wants with you. That's why he says listen to what I'm trying to tell you about Jesus. And if you'll get what I'm telling you about Jesus, you will never again think it's a burden to do what I want you to do. Augustine put it this way, love and do what you please. If you love God, just do whatever you want, because all you want is to please God. That's what happens. Love's going to overwhelm the law, and faith is going to overcome the world. Because we live in a world whose values and seductions are real. And it's real hard to keep saying no. And those that hold out are those who hold on to what God has said about Jesus. This is the victory that overcomes the world, John says. It's even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes Jesus is the Son of God. You understand what he's saying? If you are able to hold out against the world, it's because you hold on to what God has said about Jesus. Not your faith in your church. Not your faith in your doctrine. Not your faith in your morals. It's your faith in Jesus that overcomes. John would later write this book we call The Revelation. And I'll admit, it's probably the hardest book in the Bible to understand. It's filled with all these weird metaphors and dragons and angels and beasts and war and blood. And it's confusing. But what helps is to remember at the start of that book, he writes seven letters to seven churches. And at the end of every single letter, he says, To him who overcomes. Revelation is written to help us overcome the world. So are you ready? I am going to, in 30 seconds, teach you the book of Revelation. It's just three statements, three things to remember. Ready? Number one, you have to choose sides. Number two, Jesus wins. Number three, don't be stupid. I just taught you the book of Revelation. That there really is a war going on. It is real and you can't stay neutral. Jesus is going to win big. So overcome the world with your faith. John says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son 
does not have life. He's not saying that only people that believe in Jesus live forever. Everybody has immortality. But only people that believe in Jesus have eternal life. And you have it not just then. John says we have it now. God is my witness. And so you see, folks, it still comes down to what are you going to do with Jesus? You can be religious and still not get it. What are you going to do with Jesus? I have accepted the witness of God. It's changed my life. And so some people say, well, you just can't be dogmatic about Jesus. You know, virgin birth, sinless life, all-sufficient death. You can't be dogmatic about that. I agree. His deity, his virgin birth, his sinless life, his atoning death, his bodily resurrection, his sure return as king of kings and lords of lords. I'm not dogmatic. I'm bulldogmatic. <laughs> because I have believed the witness of God. And let me close with this challenge. It seems to me that underneath this text is a powerful implication that I would want to be Christ's fourth witness. That Jesus' final charge to his disciples, go be my witnesses. The world needs the water and the blood and the spirit and you. So when's the last time you gave anybody your testimony about Jesus? I got to meet some real heroes in Uganda like the Shelburns and the Tylers and the Sheros. And I got to meet this man on the screen now named Dennis Akoff. I'll do my best to tell you the story as I believe it was explained to me. Dennis' father was an important man in his village in Kenya. An animist, not a follower of Christ. But Dennis, his first year of marriage became a believer in Jesus, was baptized and began to tell people all around his village about Christ. Well, this upset his father very, very much, even to the point that he would have people spy on Dennis because he was going to all these different homes sharing his faith in Jesus. The father became angry. He wanted Dennis to follow in his ways and in his traditions. But you see, Dennis had received the witness of God and he couldn't let go of it. One day, his father had some men physically hold Dennis and they chained him to the house. I mean, put chains around his legs so that he couldn't get up and go anywhere anymore. But that didn't stop the word because people started coming to the house to hear Dennis talk about this Jesus. And so one day, a well-known area witch doctor came in with Dennis' father he had in his hand a huge syringe filled with some white liquid. And the witch doctor said to his father, it is better for one boy to die than for the whole village to learn what he's teaching. They put that in his arm and they injected the whole syringe and went into a violent reaction in coma. Should have died. 
It was meant to kill him. But he didn't. In a coma for weeks, very ill. No one knows how he survived, but he survived. People would come by to the house to see him and weep and rebuke his father. Well, there's a lot more to the story. You just need to know that eventually churches in that region were planted. Dennis' own father repented and became a follower of Christ along with his family. And this man now has mentored young men that are preaching all over East Africa. How could you, in the face of that kind of opposition, hold on? Because he held to the witness of God. And now God is blessing his witness all over a continent. And someday we're all going to stand before God. And not one single person here is going to be able to say, God, if Jesus is so important, then why didn't you say something? Because he has. And I am banking my eternity on the truthfulness of God's witness to Christ. I think it'd be good for us to hear it one more time. Would you bow your heads and just let our our praise team just sing these words over you. I know you've heard these words a thousand times, but listen to them this time as the witness of God. Jesus is Lord, my Redeemer, how He loves take a moment now and would you just pray God submit those thoughts in my heart I don't want to be religious I want to be converted to Jesus just ask God right now to submit deep in your heart the witness about Jesus God, give us ears to hear. Ears to hear your testimony that he is your son. Ears to hear your witness that he's the savior of the world. Ears to hear your declaration that he is king of kings and the Lord of lords. Help us to be more sure than we've ever been about Jesus. And help us to share that for his glory. Let's all sing together. Jesus is Lord, my Redeemer.
Our elders and ministers are going to be back at the chapel where the big cross is. If you want to talk to somebody today about these things or anything else going on in your life, you want someone to pray with you, go see them as we sing this next song. They'll be there. If you're ready to go public for Jesus, to be buried in water because you believe he's the son of God, to have your sins washed away by his blood, to receive the Holy Spirit because he's Lord, if you're ready to go public with your profession, come down to the front right now while we stand, we sing this song.